matter of fact, I used to run the labs individually. Like first we're going to do hormones and maybe they, then we're going to look at immune system, detoxification, energy production, mm-hmm. autonomic balance. Things. And finally had a couple of clients go read. Why didn't you just run all these labs at once? <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, they were telling me, hey, I would have gone for the just tell me tell me what the deal is. See, I, I was in an office. We were kind of working that way of stretching it out a bit. Plus, you know, I was concerned about their budget, you know, spending money on all these labs at once just, you know, wasn't being done at the time. And or at least not by very, not by me. And so I just eventually one day got sick and tired of just piecemealing it out and figuring this. And then you had that and then you had this. So I just decided our program was going to be you run five labs or we can't help you. You're going to have to run them eventually. You might as well run them all right now. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. What is going on, my friends? And welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. And I have the privilege of hosting none other than Reed Davis, founder of FDN, the man who needs no introduction. But seriously, though, we did introduce him actually in episode 100 if you want to go back there and check out more about Reed. But for today, we're not really focusing on an intro, and I actually want to keep this as short as possible because we have a lot of content to cover. I think it was almost an hour and 20 minutes of just recorded time. I want to get to this as quick as possible for you guys. Just so you know what we're talking about today, um, so you understand as to whether or not this is the episode you want to listen to. This is definitely for people who want to understand more about the FDN system. We are breaking down all five labs. It is a summarized version, but you get to hear it from Reed himself as to why we chose this. And there's actually six tests, but there's five labs. One is not a literal lab test. We will talk about that sixth test as well, so you'll get to kind of learn what all of those are. And in addition, in the first part, you'll be hearing about our summer open house. You can go to fdntraining.com slash summer to learn more about this. There is a whole schedule on there. The reason that we're doing this month of events, it's June 2020, so depending on when you're listening to this, unfortunately, it might already be over, but hopefully you're listening to this close to when this was released and you have plenty of time to check these things out. We are doing events multiple times a week all the month of June, and that is because we have a $1,000 price increase coming on July 1st of 2022. This price increase, they happen occasionally once every year and a half, two years. It comes because the FDN course is constantly expanding. More things are being added in as we learn what graduates think they needed more of while they were in the course. If we hear something consistently, that will eventually get added in as well. And that's why the uh, cost goes up. It is to match the increases in quality of the course over the last two years. And there's a ton of stuff that's been added in, including, but not limited to, 
actual lab tests. I got two lab tests when I went through the FDN course. Now you will get four and you'll also get the one test that is not a lab test. I promise that'll make more sense when you listen to this episode. <laughs> uh, so check that out, fdntraining.com slash summer, and you can get signed up for notifications for the events. And you can also see a schedule on that page without signing up for anything. What's really interesting about this is in the five years I've been here, they have never done something where we're literally showing you guys stuff that only graduates and or trainees typically get to see. For example, um, one of the things is the trainee study hour. There's actually two study hours every week where there are live calls with either Reed, which again, the founder of FDN, or one of our awesome mentors. Her name is Elizabeth, and she is typically the one hosting the Wednesday show. And so they will get on live with you in the Facebook group for trainees only, and you can ask questions, interact with other people in the group. It is very cool and just interesting that they do that twice a week. That was not something that was available when I was doing this. And then as another example, you'll get to see the detective hour. This is probably for the people who are a little more advanced already, maybe coming into this with some background in functional medicine. Now, again, you don't need this for the course, but to check out that graduate only type of thing, it might make more sense because the people that are seeing Detective Hour, not only have they graduated FDN, they're serious enough to join AFDNP, which is our professionals network. And Detective Hour is one of those things that is offered there. So those are client or a practitioner rather submitted cases about their clients. We block off the names and stuff. And then we do a live walkthrough with one of our mentors, as well as Jennifer Woodward, who is the head of AFDNP. And she will actually, well, sorry, they will actually go through and break down the client's labs, give an extra interpretation. It gets pretty nerdy and pretty in-depth. So if nothing else, check out those two things. There's a bunch of other stuff going on, but again, you can go to that website. I don't want to take up too much time with that. It is fdntraining.com slash summer. For now, um, I want to get to the interview. We're going to break down the open house. That'll last about 15 to 17 minutes into the recording. And then the rest of the time is Reed and I talking about the labs, the FDN system, how and why it was created in the way that it was. It's going to be something that I think you're going to love if you're interested in FDN. And even if you're a current trainee, I think it makes sense to listen to this as well. It's just exciting to hear about how it started. And you really... When you get to talk to Reed like this, or you hear Reed like this, you really understand just how much thought and time and precision went into this. These aren't chosen on a whim. It's not random. It was done after tens of thousands of labs were run by him alone. And then an additional, what has it been now, 13, 14 years of FDN existing as a course. So pretty cool. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. All right. Reed himself is on the podcast. How are you, my friend? Fantastic. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. We actually, I don't think, we talked to Reed a little bit after episode 100 because you were on with Jen Maleka again. So we're glad to have you. I mention you all the time on the show, typically once every other episode. But just for those that don't know, in case you're clicking on the first time, maybe you just saw this on the FDN website, um, Reed's the actual founder of FDN. This is the person who created all this stuff. Um, I went through the program five years ago and graduated. And so, yeah. We're, there's no better person to talk to when we're lucky enough to have Reed on to figure out what we're doing here. And if you're an active listener, you've heard parts about dress before. You've heard parts about hidden stressors. You've heard some of the labs. I'm doing a whole series on the individual labs. What we're going to do today is get right to business. If you want to hear stories that Reed has, like incredible client testimonials, go all the way back to episode 100. We had a lot of fun with that episode. We did it live in San Diego. It was very cool. Uh, but today we're focusing on what is the FDN system in terms of the hidden stuff, dress, 
and the labs because so many of you guys want to know that. Um, so I'll start it off. Let's get started with the acronyms. I think hidden's probably a good place to start. And that stands for hormonal, immune, digestion, detoxification, energy production, and nervous systems. And I know that's a lot, but we'll break that down for you guys. Um, so Reed, how did you come up with that acronym? Like why those things amongst the you know hundreds of systems in the body? How did you come to that conclusion? <laughs> Yeah, well, those are the main ones. The main ones that we were testing, and I like making things easy to remember for myself as well as clients, and now of course all the practitioners we have. And so acronyms to me have always been a great way to do that. So and and by the way, I always started my first labs with the H hit a hormone. I mean, I ran before I ran hardly any other labs. I ran at least two or three hundred hormone tests. And then it was exit detoxification and digestion. But anyway, I needed a nice, easy way for everyone to remember it. If <laughs> Yeah. Well, and fair enough. And actually, I clearly it works, right? Because I still remember it five years later. I always get so nervous that when I'm live on a podcast or in person, I'm going to like forget the last one, you know. Um, but yeah. for those that didn't get to hear that episode 100, we'll give you the brief context. Read has run thousands and thousands of labs and you even said this yourself and I appreciated your honesty like in the beginning because there wasn't tons of functional practitioners out there there wasn't all this information this is 20 years ago you're starting this you had to do a lot of experimentation and like see all right what works here what works with that and then over time it kind of blossomed into this system that is very predictable and we can kind of see oh wait if you run all these labs on these people, you're never going to get someone worse. That's for sure. Um, some people might need a little more. Some people might not even need it that much. And as you always say, you never really know which lab sometimes had the best effect, but this is why we need all of them. Everyone in this point that's listening has seen a practitioner that only runs gut tests or only runs food sensitivity tests. And they're great things. We run them ourselves. But when you only do that, you only have one clue or tool to figure out what's going on in the body. And if you guys are dealing with the people that we're dealing with, these are chronically ill individuals. Chances are, it's not just going to be one thing. Their whole body probably has a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, their hormones are going to be out of whack. They've probably acquired a few gut pathogens that are now overgrowing. They certainly have food sensitivities. That's going to be par for the course, right? I mean, no one really escapes that, it seems. And so you started with the hormone and the uh, kind of the de uh, detoxification stuff. What came next into, next into the system? What was the next logical thing for you? Well, uh, digestion, because I not being a doctor is another important aspect to this, that I couldn't diagnose one thing, one particular thing. And by the way, everyone walking in our door 23 years ago when I started had already seen five or eight practitioners. You know, they've been through what we call now the cycle of trial and error. You're, you're very familiar with that. We can do a whole show on that, do a whole show on that. You know, um, so people have already been to a practitioner where they use what I call the sounds like method. So you have a, a shirt on that says test, don't guess. But that's yeah, exactly but how physicians are trained to guess what test to run. So it sounds like a parasite. It sounds like, uh, you know, dysbiosis. It sounds like thyroid, a huge one, right? Oh, it sounds like thyroid. Because there's a traditionally reliable cluster of symptoms that might be thyroid, and you test the thyroid, yep, pat myself in the back, found your problem, here's your prescription, you know, which is just treating the paper. Yeah. <laughs> and so we know from our studies of anatomy and physiology and biochemistry, it could be 
a hundred different things causing that, causing the low. Th- so why just test the? Th- oh, it sounds like thyroid. Test the thyroid. You you actually, sh- you know, shame on you if you say that's all there is wrong with the person. Oh, I found your problem, mm-hmm. and then you treat the thyroid or they treat the test results. Let's get those test results in range. You know, uh, yeah. get those numbers up or down, whatever it has to be. So that system doesn't work. And so I know your question was, which was the next lab, but it wouldn't have mattered. I would have had to discover them all eventually anyway. And uh, because, you know, if you if you help three or 500 people with their hormones, guess what? They also have digestion issues. They also have detoxification issues. They also have energy production and on and on. The whole hidden is always, there's always something to improve. In those six areas, no matter what. Okay. And so, why would I, as a not not a physician, I'm not. I don't want to diagnose and treat one thing. I don't want to fractionate the body. I want to help that entire person heal. And so mm-hmm. that's why it took ten years to figure it all out. Yeah. Well, and you actually you kind of already got to my next question because I was going to be like, um, how did we come up with the specific labs or all that stuff? Like, how did this actually manifest? Because I know it started out with. A little trial and error in the beginning but like why do we always use five six labs why does it have to be oh, that way and you just you answered know, that i gotta tell you i i had mm-hmm. the the good mentorship there was mm-hmm. guys like dr bill timmons creating this lab work he he broke off from what he was doing because he, he want he invented labs he came up with this is what we should be running to get to the underlying causes and conditions so he was one guy that i learned a lot from dr bill uh, Bailey's another, and uh, there, there's many, uh, too few, too many to mention. But there's nothing that beats saying, "Okay, great," and going and running ten thousand of them. You know, you're bound to make your own observations, and that's what I kind of was known for. Is yeah, good mentorship, good lab work, very cutting edge, very uh, alternative at the time. You know, you hadn't really heard much about. Um, complementary medicine or integrative medicine functional medicine had never left anyone's uh mouth that way back then it became functional medicine eventually and thank goodness but but still just um that sheer experience again good mentorship but i was recognizing patterns and uh all these it was mostly women at first yeah, they came in for their hor- yeah, hormones, stress, hormones, stress, hormones. That was my niche, if you will. But then guess what? They had all those other problems, and I slowly figured it out. Well, and matter of fact, I used to run the labs individually. Like, first we're going to do hormones and maybe digest. Then we're going to look at immune system, detoxification, energy production, mm-hmm. autonomic balance. And, things. and finally had a couple of clients go, Reed, why didn't you just run all these labs at once? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, really, they were telling me, "Hey, I would have gone for the just tell me, tell me what the deal is." See, I mm-hmm. I was in an office, and we were kind of working that way of stretching it out a bit. Plus, you know, I was concerned about their budget. You know, spending money on all these labs at once just you know wasn't being done at the time, and or at least not by very not by me. And so I just eventually one day got sick and tired of just piecemealing it out and figuring this. And then you had that. And then you had this. So I just decided our program was going to be, you run five labs or we can't help you. You're going to have to run them eventually. You might as well run them all right now. And hey guys, uh, uh, for, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, that's it. I was going to say from experience, you know, I've said this before. I think I said it in episode 100, learn from me too, because 
I had limiting beliefs when I started, right? I went through the system. It worked from, uh, tremendously for me, and I still had that. This is a personal development thing as much as it is a health thing, let's be honest, because you know I didn't believe I could make someone run five labs or use this on themselves. I'm like, oh, I can't ask for that. But it's just what you said. I ended up not serving them at the highest level, and they would have been happier if I just yeah. ran all the labs because that was the system I was taught. That's what mm-hmm. I know works. You didn't teach in the course, hey, yeah, you run a gut test and hope for the best. You said, this is what we use all together. It's kind of ironic that we do that. There's so many trainees still to this day, um, thankfully less and less because of the support we have, but so many that limit those beliefs on themselves. And they're like, well, okay, I'll just go out and run one. It's like, that's not what you were taught. That's not what worked for you. So why are we... We're doing a disservice to those people. Uh, most of the people that come to us, I know I speak for myself, I was so damn sick. I would have paid any amount of money if it worked. And FDN works. <laughs> you're not, again, you're not going to get the person worse, that's for sure. Um, I always say this. Uh, the last thing I'll mention here is that my mom and dad ended up spending, they, they told me eventually a little over $100,000 on Western medicine, Read just wow. on the stuff there. Yeah. Uh, my parents did not have $100,000. They work hard. I'm not discrediting them. They, most people don't have $100,000 no. to be blowing on this stuff. Yeah. And so then she finally worked with an FDN, it was Jen Maleka, and that was the best $5,000 she ever spent. That was like a, a long program too. It was like a nine-month thing. I yeah. want to go back for just a a moment though, if I can, to your thyroid example, because I think what you said about the thyroid thing and the doctor saying, it sounds like that and I'll run it was actually the best case scenario. And it's perfect proof of why we need all these labs. Because what you said is like, all right, well, they it sounds like thyroid, they run it and they find something with the thyroid. As you and I both know, that's the best case. A lot of the time they think it sounds like something, they run it and functional practitioners do this too. And then nothing shows up. Oh, well, it wasn't your thyroid. So, oh, it's stress and it's in your head, Miss Jones. Uh, You go home and you take this antidepressant now. And guys, that's, you know, it's a pun in a sense, but it's really not funny because that's really what happens. If they can't figure it out, you're on an antidepressant now or something similar. That's not okay. (laughs) We we can't be doing that. Uh, Dr. Kieran Dunstan, who Reed just did a huge live with, we had her on the show. She was an OB, well, is an OBGYN that turned very functional she had that same thing in her head. Remember what she says? It sounded like a thyroid problem to her. So she runs the thyroid tests on herself. And just because she was only running TSH, it came back what? Normal, Normal. quote unquote. (laughs) So she wasn't able to find it. That's why we can't just play this this guessing game. Um, You use the test. It's a proven system. Is it going to be perfect for everyone right off the bat? No, you are going to improve people about 70, 80% in the first like 90 days. I have seen that consistently, yeah. like very consistently. Well, very reliable. It's very reliable. <laughs> Plus, if, you know, our on, onboarding sessions, we we work for people that, A, we know we can help. So we interview people. Um, they, they call us up all excited because we were – referred by someone who we helped a lot. You helped my friend so-and-so. I need you to help me too. And they want to start telling you their life story. And we're like, well, hey, hey, let's just take a second and decide, can we help you? So we go through a list of questions that determines, A, can we help you? And then B, are you someone that we are compatible with, that we can work with, that we want to help you? You know, I hate to turn it around on the client, uh, but they have to sort of pass a um, interview and it's not them interviewing us picking our brains. It's us interviewing them to see if they're ready, willing and able to get going. We're serious about helping people. I mean, really serious. That is our mission. That's our goal. That's our livelihood. That's everything does. 
actually helping people. So we're going to go through a little onboarding to make sure that uh, we have those, what you just said, reasonable expectations. And when you have reasonable expectations, usually we over deliver, end up getting more than what you bargained for. So yeah. that's worth, like you said, uh, what's that worth to you? What's your health worth? <laughs> yeah, right. If you, think, it, if you think getting healthy is expensive, <laughs> try staying sick. See how much that costs you. Right. Um, and and I mean, you could just hear that on the stories on this podcast, especially with so many now. This is, guys, this is happening so often. And my girlfriend, Maddie, who you've gotten to meet a couple times, Reed, you know, she had this experience where like she didn't really, I mean, she's had some health stuff, minor stuff. She had no idea this was happening. And she was going to be a nurse at one point, had no idea this was happening on the scale that it was until she listened to this podcast. And she's like, mm-hmm. Ev, like you've, yeah, beyond convinced me that this was going on. And it is tens of millions of people in this country alone. But you know what? It's not like necessarily every single person in every family, right? <laughs> and not yeah. everyone has the will to actually change it. So you don't hear about it necessarily walking down the street, but this is happening in almost every single household around the world. There's plenty of people to work with. Um, it's the cycle of trial and error, as you always say. I've introduced that a few times on this show. You know, we're just trying different things. And the worst part about it is, not only will they spend all this money, like you said, if you stay sick, my mom still had a full thyroidectomy and is still on medication oh, for the rest of their life. Yeah. So what they do, man, is, you know, and I'm not, guys, just so you know, if it's your first episode listening, because I'm always really clear about this on here, this is not anti-Western medicine. Let's not be ridiculous. We have doctors in FDN. That's just, that doesn't even make sense. What it is, is the systems being used incorrectly. It's great for emergencies, but when it's used for chronic disease, these poor doctors don't really have the tools. They're not equipped to deal with that. And so what happens is these people with cancer, especially or autoimmune, you will spend money until there's no money left. And then at that point, you know, medication for the rest of your life, uh, an organ removed. This is pretty serious stuff. And so obviously we want to get to FDN or similar philosophies as quick as possible. We don't want to do that after a hundred grand. Um, you know, most FDN programs are going to be anywhere between three and seven grand, depending on, and seven grand's on that much higher end, depending yeah. on the experience of the person. Yeah. And this, some of the best money they'll ever spend. <laughs> and you can, you can charge whatever you want is the beauty of being an FDN practitioner. Look, I've had clients, and you know, I know we don't want to do a lot of stories now, <laughs> but I've worked right, right. for free just because I, I wanted to help a person. I make them pay for the lab fees, but I've worked for no charge. But I've also, you know, over the years, raised prices and raised prices and raised pr- prices because people are willing to invest in their health. And it's whatever you want to charge. You know, me, I like a lifestyle that allows me to, I work very hard. Uh, usually from four in the morning till about noon. I like to take the afternoons off. I love having my afternoons Hmm. off and being able to take off on some weekends, travel a little bit. I just got back from Cabo for uh, 10 days or so. And I I work down there too, because you can not only work when you want, but you can work where you want off a laptop computer, you know, because we're doing distance coaching and things like that. So you, when it comes to the money, you can charge what you want. Most of that depends on your own money mindset. If you have a poverty uh, mindset, you're probably going to struggle a little bit at first. But once you start helping people and they're appreciative and you start charging a little more and a little more, pretty soon you're in a very comfortable place where you can afford to live the life you want for yourself. 
It's objectively true. And the reason I know that is because we've all seen the practitioners in the space that have 10,000 certifications, but they've never really had more than three clients because they don't believe in themselves, unfortunately. And then there are people that do FDN alone and they have multiple six figure businesses. This is real, guys. That's actually like true. And so it's like, well, FDN didn't change, the certifications didn't change. Could it be that it has a lot to do with um, the person's mindset about stuff? And the good news is that's very fixable. You can always work on that. I constantly work on mine. I know that you're huge into personal development. Um, I remember you shouting out seven habits of highly effective people. If people want something to read um, Stephen Covey and stuff. So, all right, cool. Well, it's amazing how much you and I can talk. It's already been 18 minutes, believe it or not. So let's Uh get into uh, the labs themselves and kind of really break this down for people. And keep in mind, Reed, I am doing a series right now where I do like 20 minutes on each lab, but I I still want to give some people uh, some meat of this stuff and really talk about what we use. So um, we just recently updated the hormone kind of stuff. It was a different company when I was doing my stuff and now it's even more advanced. You have a great relationship with this company called Fluids IQ. So what what are some of the things that we're doing with this new hormone test that we have? What are we looking for? Because some of the things have stayed exactly the same and then you've added new markers on as well. Oh, man. Well, I love that test, number one, because it's saliva, which is very convenient. You know, I mean, there's no way on the planet you could get uh, someone to get a blood test four times in a day, you know, at at eight in the morning, at noon, at four in the afternoon, and then at 10 o'clock at night. You know, you, you saliva is great for convenience and for price. It's also very reasonably priced. And also, it gives you the bioavailable levels. That's what's being used by the body right now. It's not an accumulation of, of the last three hours or three days or anything like that. It's bioavailable levels now. So that means you can get time-specific measurements, morning, noon, and afternoon, night. And two of the main things we look at, there's cortisol, which is your stress hormone. It's also your catabolic hormone. And we look at DHEA, which is involved in stress, but it's more your anabolic hormone, builds the body up. Now, we've all heard of metabolism. If you look it up on Wikipedia, you're going to see that it's the sum total of all activity going on in your body all at one time, every chemical reaction, every uh, metabolic pathway, you hear this term. Metabolism should be simplified into building up and breaking down. The cortisol breaks you down. The DHEA is representative of building you up. So we're looking at metabolism. Are you catabolic, you know, from uh, too much cortisol, or are you... Uh, anabolic, like kids and, and young people, you know, they're very much more anabolic. They have higher uh, levels of this this uh, uh, good hormone. Now, cortisol by itself isn't bad, but we look at that, the cortisol to DHA ratio. Are you building up? That's significant. It's not a medical diagnosis of any kind. Matter of fact, you, you probably would never find a standard medical practitioner who's going to look at Are you building up and breaking down? We like to know so we can coach people, so we can guide them. Hey, your body's breaking down. Well, that starts explaining a whole lot of things. And so that's what some of the other things involved in that test are. We look at the sex hormones, of course, progesterone, testosterone, and estrogen. And you mentioned the new markers. And I'm really excited about adding melatonin to the noon marker. Again, this is very time specific with saliva. So where should your melatonin be at noon? should be in the basement. You're wide awake. It's daytime. Why would you have high levels of melatonin? Well, you would have higher levels of melatonin, which we see if you're dysfunctional, especially in the gut. If you have gut dysfunction and um, 
it's it's a so it's a finger pointing in that direction is that a medical diagnosis no it's just pointing the finger at something that needs to be improved hey gut dysfunction and you might even look at the other labs and see more you know you start getting this whole constellation of uh, markers together and be able to really explain why a person is showing up in bad shape another marker on that same test and this is just a saliva test you can do it in the convenience of your home. It's cheap. You send it into the lab. We get the test results for the client and with their permission, of course, are able to use it, use the data to explain why they're showing up in bad shape. We're not diagnosing and treating anything specifically. We're saying, well, this explains things. The, the other marker on that test I was mentioning is the morning secretory IgA. That's another finger pointing at gut dysfunction. And it happens very, very often that the cortisol to DHA ratio is out of whack. You're more catabolic and cortisol starts shutting down the gut. So, and secretory IgA is a marker there that will be low or even chronically low because mm -hmm. of this dysfunction. More, that's just more places where a person can be coached to heal themselves. So we have the uh, catabolic to anabolic ratio. We have, matter of fact, the total cortisol even tells us uh, what what phase of dysfunction you might be in. Um, uh, we have the sex hormones, of course, which we'll just you know, go into that as much as you like. But having that melatonin, another finger pointing it in another area of dysfunction, the secretory IgA, which, by the way, if it's high, you probably have an act, active infection, you know, something mm -hmm. uh, that you might want to get referred out for or that we could just look at our other test results and explain that to you also. I don't, I don't want to get too off track with it, but I love that you mentioned the active infection thing because to the untrained person right now, they may be saying, well, wait, why did he just say that's a hormone test? They can tell that type of stuff. This is basically what we're learning in FDN more than anything else is this clinical correlation. We are looking at these labs in ways that even if a doctor did run them, they're not necessarily trained to do. That's one of the coolest parts to me, at least about FDN is looking at a lab result and seeing what it is objectively, but then also being able to put on our detective hats and say, well, what else could this mean? Because their cortisol spiked at night. This was a relative elevation. Could that mean they fought with a family member or spouse? It could. But could it also be a gut bug? It could be that. Maybe they ate something that pissed off their body right before bed. We, you know, So it's not like you know always exactly what it is, but you're able to start asking these questions with the client, uh, very astute questions. And eventually you can kind of figure out normally, oh, that's what happened. You know, you guys were late on taxes or whatever. And, uh, you know, your husband didn't pay the damn bill. And so now you're yelling at him before bed and that cortisol went up on that night. Um, oh, so there could be a million things, <laughs> could be a bunch of things that are going on. I think the hormone test is one of the most validating things because I've mentioned this to you before. You know, I was a 21 year old guy when I ran this hormone test. And of course, very understandably, people were saying to me like, all right, man, come on, you should have so much more energy and be able to do all these things. And I swear to God, Reed, I was trying. Like, I, I was working all the time. I went out to California and learned about FDN and ironically was working night shift at the time to survive out there, which I know now I would never do again. Um, and I couldn't, I remember I was delivering food at the time. It was like, you know, just starting out in my life. I was still figuring out the health stuff. Reed, I was going up the stairs one night just to deliver damn food, man. My eyes started getting blurry. Um, I couldn't really see well. I was seeing stars and stuff. And I just felt so weak. I couldn't even get up like a couple flights of stairs. I'm like, this is not okay. F. Like, and I'm yeah. eating organic at the time, man. I thought I was doing right the right stuff. I wasn't 
lacking knowledge in this or sorry. Um, it's not that I had no knowledge in this is what I mean. I was lacking knowledge, of course. Right. And I found FTN. I ran the hormone test about a month later. And I was in the exhaustive phase, just starting in the exhaustive phase of HPA, uh, HPA axis dysfunction. Cortisol was tanked, no melatonin at night. Um, my DHEA was like three or four, maybe even five times above the reference range. Like my body oh, was what? trying to hang on. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, no wonder I felt that way. So this is very validating for people because we can show them probably more clearly than any other of the tests um, why they feel exactly why they feel. And even the time of day that they feel those ways, you could really like correlate it pretty clearly. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned the clinical correlation because of all the skills you learn in FDN in their program, I think that might be the most valuable learning how to correlate the lab results with a person because you don't want to treat the paper. So, so many people like you, you go back to the thyroid, they might've had a thyroid test because it sounds like thyroid. They're using the, the sounds like method. <laughs> sounds like thyroid. Run a test. Yep. It's your thyroid. All right. Here's your medication. Now what happens with that is you go back periodically to get the same test just to check where are the numbers and then adjust or titrate the dosage. Well, the problem you went in for might not even come up for discussion. Why you went in, in other words, the clinical correlation, you know, does that explain why you feel so crappy? That's not talked about much anymore. It's, it's where are the test results? Where, oh, we got to get this number up, down a little bit more or up a little bit higher. We're going to adjust your dosage. Thanks very much. See you in three months. Yep you know, in that eight minute uh, visit, if that long. And so um, this, it has nothing to do with what we do. We don't think that way. We don't uh, treat the test results. We clinically correlate with one individual. And it's exciting to do that because that individual is going to say, wow, how come no one else ever taught me this before or showed me this or explained it in this way? And that's what, instead of diagnosing and treating, we're not interested in the, the test results. Some of the ones we use can't even be used for diagnosis, uh, but they sure explain an awful lot about what's going on with the person. Yeah. Uh, the last thing we'll say about the clinical correlation, because you said it might be one of the most important skills that we learn as a practitioner, I would say it probably is. Because to me, Reed, that means I don't, even though we use these labs and they're fantastic, I don't necessarily need those labs to be a good practitioner. I can take that skill and look at any test. And now, of course, there's more optimal tests than not. That's why we use the ones we use at FDN. But someone could give me anything I'm trained in, and I could figure out things that other people might not be able to figure out. That's a lifelong skill, guys, that you could take pretty much anywhere, even if you're a doctor. That's why we have doctors that go through the FDN course. I mean, yeah, they're trained in diagnostic codes and reference ranges. You know, if the reference range is too high or too low, here's this medication. If we could diagnose something, mazel tov. But we got to figure out why this person feels the way that they feel. And it's not always um, like, you know, the thyroid, like it might seem it, it could be other things. And uh, we could go off forever on that. Just for sure. time's sake, we'll move to the next test. I, I just I want to move to this test. It's not necessarily in any order, just so you guys know. Uh, the MRT, food sensitivity test. This yeah. is going to be the one that our Canadian and USA practitioners get to use. But keep in mind, we have active practitioners in 50 countries around the world. Um, now, if you can get the MRT, I think it's 
knowing the technology behind it, I think it takes the cake out of all of these. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll briefly explain it. Please. The MRT, guys, is different than most of the other food sense. Well, really all of the food sensitivity tests out there. When you hear about something like the ELISA, let's say, the E-L-I-S-A, it's probably one of the more common ones. It's testing for IgG. Now, that's immunoglobulin G. That's one way that the body could react to a potential antigen. And that's not complicated. That just means like a food protein, right? That's the potential antigen in this case or a food chemical maybe. So you have IgG. That's great. But that's only one way. Now, unfortunately for that test is that there's hundreds, if not thousands of ways that the body could react to a food, right? So when you spend $250 on one test, if that's all you have, in some countries that will be the main thing, let's be honest. That's great. Let's figure that out. If we could take the person off those foods temporarily, great, if that's what they want to do. But the MRT uses something where they're measuring volumetric changes, size changes in the white blood cell. And so you're not actually able to look at those test results and say, oh, well, it was IgG and IgA and IgM. You can't see anything of that specifically. But because they're looking at those changes in the white blood cell, which is where a lot of these mediators are released from. MRT stands for mediator release test, by the way. They've actually been able to quantify more or less how sensitive one might be to a potential food. And so they have a 93.6% replicability rate. And that actually, what I've seen, read is that only gets better over time as they get more and more tests in and more and more data. So eventually this thing is going to be even better than that. But 94% is pretty damn good in the world of food sensitivities, let's be honest. Oh, yeah. uh, so this is something I, I understand I don't know if you've seen this read. I've seen in the world as like a consumer, there's just a lot of controversy around the food sensitivity test now. And I think that's been given a bad rap. One, because of the just the single type of test, like an IgG or something. But number two is you don't have a practitioner using it in the right way. If your practitioner only used a food sensitivity test, yes, we would agree that that's an incomplete form of care. But when you use that in a system with all these other things, Guys, you can make people feel better in three to six days sometimes, three to seven days, maybe like a week. And then you actually heal the stuff so that they don't keep just developing more food sensitivities to the new foods that they're now eating, right? So um, I'll pause there. I know you probably have a million things to add to the MRT, but I, I guess the question would be, how did you come up with that one or want to use well, that you, one? You, you covered a lot of ground, you know? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and that's a good thing. So there's the science part of it. Like you mentioned, the mediator release it's not the same as looking at an immunoglobulin response, like a like your immune system uh, might respond to something. But as to whether it's actually causing or contributing to the symptoms, it's very hard to de determine with the IgG test. IgE is a little more accurate um, because, uh, you know, IgE is what causes your eyes to water, your skin to itch. Like if a dog walks in the room and you have an IgE response, it's going to be really fast. You're going to get itchy. You're going to get uh, with foods. It could be the hives. You're going to get red patches or certain things. So there's there's different. There's IgG, IgM, IgA, IgG, as you mentioned. And uh, sometimes a little more obvious uh, that the symptom is attached to that elevation. So the immune system is responding. The, the, I like the mediator release test. It's a better screening for us to use because it measures – not that part of the immune system, but the release of mediators. So these are inflammatory uh, factors. They are like prostaglandins, granulocytes. So these are released now, and they, that, by the way, is the mechanism 
that helps the lab work is those things are released. There's a volumetric change in the blood, you know, itself. So we can measure not only um, that there's a reaction, but the level of reaction, as you said, it's all gradiated. This one, this food, you just got a little teen, maybe no, or just a teeniest, tiniest little bit of mediator release. But this food down here on the list, big, you know, real, real huge change in uh, release of mediators that are causing inflammation and other uh, things that would produce symptoms. And so it's it's gradiated. There's 170 foods. It does require a blood draw, but it's 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 not that big a deal. Um, they have uh, mobile phlebotomists all over. You can, any doctor's office can do a blood draw pretty much. You get the darn thing done and get it sent in. And here's the interesting part. Getting people to remove those foods from their diet, aside from anything else you want to say about their diet, looking backwards has, uh, like you said, three, six, nine days later, miracles, almost miraculous changes in some people so looking backwards wow sure i'm glad i ran that test like bam complete change in migraine headaches and add and adhd and skin conditions and joint pain and problems fibromyalgia all these things like almost clear up why right because those foods were a major contributor to what was going on with that person and so you can kind of see that right in front of you on paper that hey we got to get rid of these foods looking forwards there's no test that you can tell is going to be the one that's going to nail it for that person i've had people with migraines miraculous recover i mean miraculous recoveries you doing that test and getting rid of those foods others with migraines eh, not so much you know it helps a little bit so obviously there's other contributors to that person's migraines that's why we don't run one test we don't guess which test to run we run our, our, our sort of comprehensive assessment on every person. And that way we're covering as much of the constellation, H-I-D-D-E-N, as we can with just, and it, you have to invest if you want to, if, you, if you're on that cycle of trial and error, um, the only way we know to get off is to let us do our thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Last thing I'll mention about that very practical thing is just client compliance guys. When they can, there is something very special about seeing on a test. Oh, I am sensitive to the gluten. I don't want to stop eating or the dairy that I really love. Right. Um, I don't know what it does, but it, that seems to be damn near universal when people see this. Wow. That's red, red, bad. I stop eating the food, <laughs> you know, like yeah, you get the bad. smartest person in the world and, until yeah. they see that objectively. <laughs> yeah. The other part of it is green. Good. So the, the, yes. the issue, you know, the men, mental thing for clients, they say, oh, look, uh, they look at the red list. Oh, I can't have this anymore. I can't have that anymore. Mm -hmm. The green list is always bigger. The green list is mm -hmm. what you can have. So start looking in there. Oh, I like that. I like that. Oh, I, I want to try that. I always wanted to try this and that. And you can find these things in any grocery store pretty much. Hopefully you're using organic foods, but it gives you a new shopping list. So it takes a lot of the guesswork about, it takes the guesswork out of what the heck do I eat? It, it's mm -hmm. remarkable. Now we also use another uh, diet typing system to help, but man, the, the, it's that plus get rid of those foods. Or, and by the way, there are other types of oral intolerances. And that's really the, the term I'm using more than food sensitivity to it's oral. You're orally intolerant to certain 
things and it might not be the immune system at all. It could be that you just can't digest it. You can't break it down and absorb it. You don't have the enzymes. You're not getting enough of the enzymes to break that. Th you know, lactose intolerance being the most common people can understand. You know, there's a sugar in milk. It's called lactase. You need lactose to break it down. If you're not making the lactose, uh, you're going to have a hard time breaking it down. It's going to probably produce gas and bloating and indigestion and maybe even some diarrhea or something like that. So, so that's a different type of oral intolerance. And of course we teach the, the full spectrum of oral intolerance testing. Sure. Okay. Well, cool. Moving right along. I think you already hinted at this next one that just makes sense. Logically, you said there's another thing that we do with diet uh, to really, really hone this in for people. And whereas the MRT, not for all the foods on there, like if someone's sensitive to gluten, guys, you probably want to keep them away. You're not serving them by having them do that every three weeks. That's probably something they might want to consider lifelong. I've done it as a lifelong thing now. I'm way better for it. But most of those things, you're going to be able to reintroduce one day because we teach you how to actually heal the body so that it can eat those things. But then the M uh, metabolic typing diet, which we're going to talk about next, this it can fluctuate, but generally speaking, is going to be more of a long-term solid thing that really helps lock in uh, the dietary interventions for these people. So I know so many people have not even heard about metabolic typing. I know, again, we have limited time, but what is metabolic typing or what is that diet? Is it only one diet or is it a mix of things? And of course, I know the answer, but <laughs> for the listeners. Yeah. Well, metabolic typing is a system of assessing one's dietary and other needs. So it actually could be used for a total um, epigenetic program. Your entire lifestyle could be modified based on your metabolic type. But we use it for the D in dress, so diet, metabolic typing. Why? Because it's as close to your uh, pre-programmed genetic requirements as we can get. And so if you're eating the way you're genetically programmed, and I'll explain some of the details in that, if you're eating the way you're genetically programmed, well, so then shouldn't your gene expression be healthy and good and and, and the way it's supposed to go. You know, you should be healthier if you're eating. Now, if you're eating opposed to your genetic requirements, what's going to happen then? You're going to pay the piper is what Bill Wolcott says. So um, metabolic typing, by the way, has been around for, or, or forms of it for 40, 50 years. And it's uh, developed out of a lot of really good solid research on uh basically ancestral diets. The problem is we don't know who our ancestors were anymore. The, the 12,000 years ago when transportation and agriculture and all these things started super developing, um, we got mixed. We, there's mm -hmm. hardly any pure anything anymore. Um, <laughs> um, there's hardly any pure anything anymore. It was mixed. So even knowing your ancestors anymore, may not be all that helpful. You could say, well, I'm part Russian, part German, part Italian. What does that tell you you should eat? Not, right. not, it doesn't really tell you much. So um, even the genetic tests now that are getting me, I'm 2% Neanderthal. Well, well, what the heck did they eat? You know, like raw mammoth meat or something? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, so instead, Bill, Bill Wolcott is a good friend of mine. He developed a over a 30-year period, going on 40 years now, a test that you can take. 
and it will it, it gets uh, psychological characteristics, it gets dietary habits and traits, physical traits and characteristics, things, puts it all together, and then you have a fairly accurate assessment of what your ancestral diet should look like. So when you hear ancestral diet or paleo diet, I say, yeah, God bless you. Which one? Which ancestral diet? Where your people basically from, if they're almost all of your genetics are from the um, Quechuan Indians in the Andy Mountains of uh, of um, South America, and you're, you're basically, your ancestors never lived below 8,000 feet, and they ate mostly corn and uh, potatoes, which is what, what the ancestral diet is down there, that's a heck of a lot different than you were born at sea level. You're, you're all your people come from sea level and ate nothing but, uh, you know, seal organs and whale blubber and just a little piece of seaweed once in a while. Maybe it's a seasonal nut or seed that that was uh, growing in, a, in some place up there. You know, so the two completely different ancestral diets and – so again, because we're so mixed, there's there's no way to guess about that correctly. Mm-hmm. Although people are doing it, they're telling you eat eat meat and meat and fat only. You know, it's wrong for some people. It and um, so that's basically a little bit about metabolic typing. We can actually tell you what the right percentage of protein, fats, and carbs are, because your protein, fats, and carbs produce energy. And you'll produce energy at the right rate and quality and quantity. Energy is used by the cells so that they can do their job. And you don't have to tell them what their job is. They already know that. <laughs> That's pre-programmed, what their job is. You just have to feel them correctly. But the body also needs micronutrients. It needs the right levels of vitamins and minerals and essential fatty acids and trace elements and phytonutrients and things that would have come from the soil where your ancestors live. So the Bantu uh, tribe in uh, Africa had a certain soil, this, the, the levels of minerals and the various, uh, you know, mix there of those things, vitamins, minerals, again, trace elements, phytonutrients and such would be a lot different than that Eskimo. Again, the, the one who eats seal blubber and just completely, because that's all coming out of the ocean, completely different micronutrient needs as well as completely different macronutrient ratios. Cool. Um, I'd love to comment, but you know those ladies will kill us if we're not on for our live. <laughs> so I should have scheduled. We should have scheduled like three hours for this. Um, but sometimes less is more. Right? I don't. I we don't want to overwhelm back. people. Yeah, we just, just leave, yeah. you know, keep them guessing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and again, remember, guys, I'm doing that series, too. So if you want more information on any of these, go check those out. We're working on it. Uh, The next one I'd love to get to read is the Fluids IQ Mucosal Barrier Assessment. I actually have not got to run this one on myself yet, but I I love that we do this. And guys, so this is basically, in a simple form, our way of looking at leaky gut in an intelligent way rather than just guessing, even though we can probably guess pretty fairly most people are having some level of intestinal permeability. But it's also more than that. So why do we use the Fluids IQ uh, mucosal barrier assessment? Like what is all that we're looking at there? Well, it's a very convenient uh, test. It's uh, easy to do and it's uh, it's very accurate assessment of the health of the mucosal barrier. There's a lot of things you could look at. Matter of fact, our Metabolic Wellness Panel has the indicant, which is a look at the mucosal barrier if you want to. Um, even having an elevated, uh, you know, 
liver congestion on that test gives you insights into the mucosal barrier. But this one is a finger stick test. So again, it's very easy to do at home. You just take a little thing and you prick your finger, you drip some blood out onto a blotter and you let it dry and you send it into the lab. It's, it's fast. It's kind of, it's, it's reasonably priced and it gives the lab something to work with. So they're going to, first of all, give us your zonulin measurement, which is a chemical your body releases when it wants to flush out the submucosa. So we have our, our gut, and it's basically a tube. Uh, you know, you've got the villi, little fingers that are absorbing food. Mm -hmm. You know, the environment inside that gut is a good combination of microflora, you know, the uh, good bacteria, bad bacteria, what have you. But things penetrate into the submucosa, into the lining of the gut. And Every now and then, the gut wants to flush that crap out. By the way, there's toxins being produced by your body. It can get flushed out the same way. So zonulin opens up the tight junctures to flush things out. The problem is it gets stuck open because we have so much going on. And there's, there's bad things out there in that environment. And there's like that secretory IgA, which is the main immune component in the mucosal lining, of the gut. So that's what we call a mucosal barrier assessment. We want to look at those tight junctures and see if they're chronically open. So now they're not just used being used to flush out, they're actually letting worse stuff come in. So that's what we call leaky gut. Um, first of all, it's supposed to be a little bit leaky to flush out, to release toxins from inside. And because what happened to them, well, they'd get caught up in your the normal passage of food and into the colon and excreted in your uh, feces, of course. So, so there's a good part of this. It should be a little bit leaky, but only outflow. <laughs> it shouldn't let anything bad in. And that's exactly right. what happens. And that's the condition we get into. So it assesses that in different ways. It looks at the health of that gut, including the uh, diamine oxidase to uh, histamine and, and the ratio of those two. So, um, there's lots of ways to look at the health of a gut, but keep this in mind. It's just about by most accounts, 80% of your immune system. So you think it's very important. Not only is it allowing you to uh, take in food and get the nutrients out of it. Again, your proteins, fats, your carbs, your vitamins, your minerals, trace elements, um, essential fatty acids, amino acids, all these things come through it that we want to the normal diffusion through the, through the villi for the most part. And uh, we want it to release a little bit of toxins, but we don't want any new toxins coming in. And, and so that's pretty much what leaky gut is. And by the way, if you have leaky gut, if you have, if you have a high zonulin, there's also the, the blood brain barrier. There's lots of leakiness to be going on in your body besides the gut. So it's an overall assessment of, if you want to say it, leakiness. Cool. And this is not the only thing that we're looking at, guys, for overall gut integrity and things that are going on in the gut. Our main one for that is actually the GI map by uh, Diagnostic Solutions Laboratory. And I, I got to comment on this one. I loved this thing because Reed, this found something in a very short period of time afterwards, uh, right after I got an endoscopy and the endoscopy did not find it. Um, the endoscopy didn't even find H. pylori. Two months later, I was not actively dating. I wasn't sharing drinks with anyone. And I say that, guys, because H. pylori is something that can come through the saliva. Um, I wasn't swapping saliva with anyone in any way. So I'm pretty sure I had this beforehand. I'm pretty confident of that. And the GI map was able to find it. And one of the really cool things about this test is 
traditionally our best option, and unfortunately some people are still only using these, was stool culture tests. Yeah, they're great, you know, it's better than nothing, just like an IgG test, but with the stool culture, you're relying on bacteria and these things to grow on the stool. And as you taught us, Reed, it's about like 95% of those things will die once they're exposed to oxygen. So stool culture testing is not necessarily the most accurate thing that we could have, whereas the GI map is PCR DNA testing. And if you think in your head, well, haven't I heard of that before? Yes, that's what a lot of um, the like multiple day COVID tests were, were the PCR testing. And of course, some people were saying, well, wait a second, doesn't that just show like too much? Could it show a false positive? That's a COVID situation. It's not for this podcast. But if you're thinking that, that is actually true. It could show things that don't necessarily matter. And that's why it needs a well-versed practitioner behind it. That's why we train you to look at that GI map results and figure out, does this clinically correlate with the person and the things that they're presenting with? Because yes, you might find something on the GI map that is not important, but you might also find something that's pretty damn important that no one else has been able to find. So it's almost, I don't want to say this totally matter of fact, but in a sense, it can be too good in certain ways. And that's why we actually train you to use this test because there's plenty of practitioners, uh, my God, it's a little scary. I know you've seen this read that run the GI map and they think everything that pops up on there is automatically something that you need to do something about. And if at worst case, that's a doctor doing that and they're treating it with medication that has side effects when nothing really needed to be done. So a GI map is fantastic. We find a ton of stuff on there. Um, I'm sure you want to add something to that. Yeah, first of all, um, our guest on this uh, Health Space Unmasked this Saturday is... Uh, Dr. Tom Fabian from DSL. So we're going to do an in-depth uh, dive into the GI map. And by the way, they have some other labs that he's going to talk about, mostly correlating it around this thing called the microbiome. And so the microbiome is much more diverse than we give it credit for sometimes. And sometimes there are imbalances in the good to bad uh, ratios, if you want, of these uh, friendly versus sort of unfriendly flora. Um, there's supposed to be a certain amount of unfriendly because it keeps your immune system hovering for when something really bad comes along or when that uh, sort of bad flora uh, gets too high a percentage of the total flora. So you get this dysbiosis and things. So you, you, you need both. Um, and man, today's world is full of um, people who've got too much stress and their immune system goes down and so then what pops up? The bad bugs, you know, the, the, the sort of, it, it gets out of balance. And once it gets out of balance, now you get dysfunction, you get antigen penetration, you get um, all kinds of immune complexes floating around, uh, clogging up the liver, detoxification. It just snowballs. There's just all of this stuff going on. So one thing we look for on this test are the bigger bugs that are actually dangerous pathology. So once you get, sick then you can get sick <laughs> you know what i mean like so only sick people get sick they just weren't they were just you know the compromise is what we should probably say so once you're compromised then then you can these bugs that your body might otherwise have handled just fine it can't handle them anymore which is why i don't like the uh sounds like a parasite philosophy you know like you pick a test oh it sounds like a parasite let's test God forbid you find one and you say that's the person's problem and treat it. You know, again, the diagnosis and treatment system doesn't work for us. You were compromised before you got sick. 
And it's, again, the stress and the digestive problems and the, the detoxification problems and the immune problems and, and these things all sort of add up to um, a snowball. Um, a, and, and so that's why the DSL needs to be carefully assessed in context with some other labs like the mucosal barrier assessment, like the metabolic wellness panel. And you, you better be looking at the hormones too with your CIGA and your, you know, so that's why I say we, we don't want to just take that as a diagnostic test and say, Oh, look, H pylori found your problem. Let's treat it. You know, cause mm-hmm. you can go ahead and, and um, chase away some H pylori and person might, depending on, how much the H. pylori was actually affecting the person, the, the level of contribution that that was making to their overall metabolic chaos, um, they'll get better to that degree and to that degree alone. And But if you don't heal everything else, like get the hormones balanced, get the immune system back to where it's supposed to be, get detoxification going, uh, all the digestive juices and things flowing stuff, they're just going to get it again. It's just going to come back. That's why, again, you find people who've been to six or eight or ten practitioners, and I've had people come in the office and they say, "Well, five years ago I had this bug, and then, but they cured it. But three years ago, in other words, two years later, this other bug showed up, and then two years after that, this other bug bug showed up, and then I'm going to find a new bug, or maybe one of those repeating itself. Why? Because they never really got fixed. They never really changed the environment, um, and they're the whole epigenetics program, uh, lifestyle and everything to, to really take care of it. And so with the DSL, you can make that mistakes. Great as a test as it is, it's, it's kind of too easy to point the finger at this or that. By the way, I, you, you mentioned the, it being a DNA uh, by PCR test, and it's, it is a good, very accurate test. But, um, you know, it's all done by machines, except maybe the calibration of the machines. And uh, I like some of the old-fashioned um, culturing and microscopy and trichrome staining and antigen testing and things we used to do because a human was involved. You know, they were looking mm-hmm. for bug parts. Good point. And, oh, look, I found one cell of this or that. And, and so there's some real strong argument to be made for even the culturing that you mentioned because a human's looking at it and going, Hmm, what's that like? And they, they, they're clinicians. These guys are lab rats. They live to identify, you know, species mm-hmm. of things. And then also the degree to which it is growing, the amount of fuzz growing in a petri dish can be very helpful in uh, designing a, a protocol for a person, you know, to, to get rid- And it's easy to retest too. So, so I like some of the old testing as well as the DSL. But you're, you're right. DSL is considered state of the art now. Um, testing. Okay, cool. And Reed, last but not least is the Fluids IQ. Again, we really uh, love that company. They've helped us out a ton and just are, as you've said, just continuously like standing up and just really helping out FDN. And I know that they've been very receptive to the things that you needed because it's kind of hard sometimes to find a lab that can do exactly what we need them to do. So they are uh, 
three out of the six tests that we use now, and it is called the Metabolic Wellness Profile. And just to be clear for those listening, if you're considering the course, nowadays in the cost of tuition, we actually include five of those tests. It's everything except the food sensitivity test. And one of the reasons for that is just because it's so different depending on where you are in the world. Um, it could be a little tricky, but yeah, no, the five things, you're going to get that in the course of uh, the cost of tuition. So let's break this one down. The metabolic wellness profile, what, what is that for? Like, what are we looking at there? Well, it covers a lot about the uh in the H-I-D-D-E-N, hormone immune digestion detoxification, it's immune digestion, detoxification, mm-hmm. maybe not all the points that we want, but enough to uh, assess a person and correlate with the person. And uh, it does an awful lot of explaining about why they're showing up so crappy, uh, when, especially when they've been told by someone else, there's nothing wrong with you. Your blood work looks normal. Well, this isn't mm-hmm. that kind of blood work. Matter of fact, as you said, it's a urine test. So it's very easy to collect at home. It's not expensive. You uh, you basically pee on these blotter strips and then you wait till they dry and you send them into the lab. So there's no shipping cost other than a little little envelope. You know, it's, it's really convenient. And it gives us the data we need to assess what you need to do to improve your health. So Again, we're not diagnosing or treating anything specifically like a doctor. We're looking for this whole cluster, this whole constellation of healing opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, in by the way, you mentioned Fluids IQ. I have to get take my hat off to them because not only are they a great lab, they're they're very man. They're science people are just real sciencey. You know, they mm-hmm. their lab rats are real ratty. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I like to have fun doing these things. Sorry, I can't yes. help myself. Um, Only way to do it. You know, so, so uh, yeah, they really got the, the tech down. But they also understand us as FDNs. They understand that we don't, we're not doctors. We don't want to be diagnosing and treating uh, one little thing, fractionating the body up into, oh, I'm a gastroenterologist. So I just look at this. Oh, that problem you have. Oh, you got to go see an endocrinologist for that. Mm-hmm. And then that guy says, oh, I'm I'm just an endocrinologist. You got to go see a neurologist for that. So, no, we're looking at this entire constellation, forming a entire epigenetic program. It's everything you need to know about your diet and your rest and your uh, your uh, uh, exercise, stress reduction, supplement, you know, so we're looking at something that doesn't treat anything specifically. It treats everything, every cell, tissue, organ system simultaneously in a, in a, mm-hmm. just with lifestyle. So it's, it's amazing. They understand that fluids lab not only gets that they appreciate it. They think we're some of their smartest customers. Boy, if just everyone would, would do what you guys do, this would be a much healthier world. And so right, Dr. Right. Gonshore and um, his family that, that run it and the other scientists that work there, Bob, and, you know, I've had these people to my house. They're in Canada. I'm in Southern California. You know, we definitely have worked together hard to put together all of these labs and to make them available. And now I'll answer your question. So the metabolic wellness panel is three markers, and we're adding another one to it. The other thing I love about fluids, digressing once again, they're willing to add labs for what I want. I want to know this about a person. I want to know that about a person uh, so I can help them heal overall. They've been willing to add markers to their labs. Uh, and by the way, it's nice to be that strong 
and that substantial of an organization. Right, so we can get them to do that. <laughs> we, we've got we've got some 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 clout in that way because we're mm-hmm. we're doing a ton of testing, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of labs every month. We're a good customer of a number of labs, lab companies, um, and so um, the Indican Indican is a measurement of protein breakdown. So, do you want to know if you're digesting very well? Well, an easy way to do it is to measure your breakdown of protein. So, Indican, if it's uh, negative, you're breaking down your protein. If it's positive, well, to what degree is it positive is important. And what it means is you don't have the bacterial breakdown of protein. Remember, protein, you chew it, you swallow it, it goes to the stomach. Uh, pepsin and hydrochloric acid have an effect upon it. It goes into the small intestine. And you want all those amino acids that are in protein to be broken down and properly absorbed in your body because you need them, plenty of them, lots of them. And so if that's not happening, you've got, you could call it maldigestion, um, malabsorption. That's important. You could also tell from that one marker that you do have a dysbiosis. Remember, because you don't have enough of the good bacteria that breaks down that protein into the amino acids that way. So now we know malabsorption, maldigestion, dysbiosis. That means your friendly bacteria is out of balance with the good bag, with the bad bacteria. And so that's a whole lot of information about a person. Mm-hmm. And we could go on from there to say, well, what does that tell you? Where does that point the finger in terms of other dysfunction in the body? Well, and we could go there, and we go there in the training. So it tells you a lot about a person. Another marker on there is your urinary bile acids. Yep. They tell you whether your liver's congested. Not what a doctor would look at. Doctors look at, do you have hepatitis, uh, liver disease? Do you have cirrhosis? You know, these are advanced, downward spiraling, potentially very serious um, diseases. And your doctor's there to tell you if you have that kind of pathology this what we're talking about is strictly a functional marker why we call it uh, functional health coaching really because it's going to tell you is your liver doing its job as a as a filter as is or is it congested it's really good thing actionable you can take steps right away to you know it tells you what's wrong with the person and explains a whole host of symptoms why does this person appear toxic well their main detoxifying organ congested or clogged up kind of like uh kind of like a vacuum cleaner bag remember the old ones had bags you probably don't remember they had bags the good ones <laughs> i do remember when vacuums had bags yes i'm <laughs> <laughs> teasing you but listen i mean you can't buy a good vacuum cleaner anymore because they took the bags out of them so this bag when it got full the you're vacuuming and it doesn't work anymore it won't pick up Little things on the carpet, right? You take that bag out, you put a new bag in, and it works like a brand new vacuum cleaner. So in that sense, the liver is like the bag. You know, it's it's collecting toxins and uh, you know immune complexes and and all kinds of things out of your uh, what's being absorbed into it. Um, it clears about three pints of blood per minute, and a lot of it's coming off your digestive system. So it's it's absolutely amazing what the liver does, and wouldn't you want to know if it's conge- if it's time to change the vacuum cleaner bag? Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, no one's looking. You know, your vacuum right. cleaner bag needs changing, and no one's looking at it because it's not yeah. showing up as a disease that a physician looks at yet. Mm-hmm. 
So it's a great healing opportunity for us. And last but not least on that test now, before we add a new marker to it, um, we have uh, indican, UBES, and then your oxidative stress marker, which is the 80HDG. used to be lipid peroxides. Now we look directly at uh, inside the cells for oxidative stress. It's a normal part of life. There's always going to be some pro-oxidative elements in the environment and inside your body you make them and a matter of right. fact it helps the body to regenerate and you know break down and repair and rebuild and things like that there's pro-oxidation and of course we've all heard of antioxidants antioxidants are what, what keep you from from breaking down too fast so um it, you know it's a measurement it's a direct measurement of how much oxidative stress the inside of your cells are under and so you know, if you have enough oxidative stress, um, you, it's certainly actionable. You can use antioxidants. You can eat more antioxidant-rich foods. You can change your lifestyle around quite a bit. So you aren't mm -hmm. rusting. The oxidative stress could be looked at as if you leave a car out in the backyard for 10 years, what's going to happen? It's going to fall apart from rusting. If you just leave a nail out in the rain, it's going to rust. You know, that's right. oxidative stress. And so you don't want too much of it. You, you need some, but but um, you want your pro-oxidation and antioxidation to be in balance. So it's a measurement. It allows us to assess a person's oxidative stress. It's, it's critical because it's actionable. Again, there's no fluff in this course. There's no um, extra stuff that you don't need. Uh, you're going to use every single thing we teach you <clears throat> with every single client. Now, not every marker is going to show up as a problem, but you're going to, from our five labs that we just went over, you're going to get this constellation of healing opportunities. On this lab, you got those two markers. On this lab, you got that maybe one out of four markers, maybe all four out of four markers. On this other lab, this. Now you know all this stuff about a person, and you can give them some help in designing. Uh, again, we call it a self-directed self-help program, but we, we help them put that program together using the lab data and what we know about that person. Wow. Well, you guys got a lot of stuff today. Uh, one thing I got to, I, I always think about this with the oxidative stress marker. It was a different test at the time, but obviously we were still looking at the similar things. Uh, Jen Malekaman, because it's not diagnostic by any means, but if someone has a lot of oxidative stress, I mean, that's kind of correlated sometimes with like a cancer type of thing. It can be other things as well. And Jen Maleka, I remember late twenties, early thirties, when she ran this test read and remember she had skin cancer and her oxidative stress was super, super high. So again, guys, that's not diagnostic. That's not why I'm saying it. It's just interesting how much you can correlate with what the person is dealing with. And who knows what would have happened for Jen if someone had ran that test four years before her diagnosis, right? Yeah. This stuff's not overnight. It's building up over time and then leads to a diseased state. So it, it's really cool what uh, this can all do. Uh, this was quite a bit. We covered all the different labs. We covered hidden. We didn't even really fully get to cover dress. We did mention it at one point in the beginning here. Um, and I, I have a whole episode on that. I'll, I'll keep it brief for you guys. It's diet, rest, exercise, stress reduction, and supplementation. And so that is actually the core of what we do overall. That's the lifestyle stuff. That's the really important things. You can run the fanciest labs. You can buy the nicest supplements. If this person that you're working with is still going to stay up um, you know, on night shift and only sleep for four hours a day, good luck, right? You're only going to be able to help them so much. We got to focus on the lifestyle stuff first. That's what 
the lack of it, I should say, is what got them in this mess to begin with. But once they're in that mess, there's things that we need to use the tests for to figure out, all right, how do we mix the lifestyle stuff in with these protocols to get this person back to where they need to be? Uh, I was someone, Reed, who was doing a lot of great lifestyle stuff, better than most uh, 21 year olds. That's for sure. I wasn't going out and binge drinking or staying up at the bar. And yet I was still sick. That's why I needed those lab tests because years of ignoring the dress type of things, the lifestyle things led me to that situation. <laughs> man, you were no fun at all. Um, no, I sucked, man. I sucked. <laughs> so, so, uh, well, it's good. You weren't out there doing those things and yet you still had issues and problems. And that's, that's the whole point. I don't know if we want to do this on a different podcast or, or now it, it's, it's a bit lengthy, but I want to at least give a, a nod to the fact that, well, how can health coaches run these labs? Cause we get asked that a lot A common yeah. question, you know, well, Hey, you're just a health coach. How can you look at labs? Well, first of all, you have to respect that lab data belongs to a person. It doesn't belong to a doctor mm-hmm. or a hospital or a lab or anyway. It belongs to that person. It's your data. And so there ought to be this freedom around that data. It's my data. Can I just please look at it? Now, what about knowing what it means? Not the diagnosis. What does it really mean to me as a person? It's my data. What does that marker mean? Does it does it tell me I should be doing something? Is it uh, preventative in any way? Is it anti-aging in any way? Is it helpful? And the answer to all those questions is yes. It's very, very helpful data when you just look at it as data. So labs come up with this data. That's why we have good labs. They get your blood, your saliva, your urine, your stool, your hair, your skin. There's lots of ways that a lab can assess things. So these guys working there, they're not doctors either. They're very, very scientific and they're they're cool people who have a, a love for um the, the science of what they do and they want to help people too they want this data to go out into the world and to help people mm-hmm. unfortunately i'll say for some people that do- data gets in the hands of someone who is trained to just diagnosis and treat one thing so they're going to take a very limited and narrow view of that data if they don't see a diagnosis in there they're going to just ignore it. It's oh, it's all in range. Oh, except for that one. Oh, that's your problem. There, there it is. You know, we look at all the data without, um, you know, we, we know about reference ranges too, but we're going to not just look at one dot. We're going to connect all the dots and say, here's all the things going on. And guess what? It perfectly explains why you're showing up the way you are. And then then you'll want to take action based on that data. So there's no medical diagnosis. That can only be given by someone with a medical license. They can give a medical diagnosis. Is that what you want? You want another diagnosis? <laughs> no, you I, want to I, I know what you want so you can fix it. Yeah. What does that even do? All a diagnosis does, I mean, it kind of tells you what's going on in a sense, but really what it does is just allow us to prescribe a medication. So obviously as FDNs, we can't do that one, unless you are a doctor in FDN, which some people are. Um, I'm not. I can't do that. And I don't want to do that because for people like me, when I got prescribed the medication, you know, usually it led to side effects. Sometimes it just didn't even work at all. And there's a time and place for medication. No doubt. I, you refer to these things sometimes as like a life vest, right? We got to keep the person afloat, especially depending on how sick they are. Like medication's wonderful. But if we're never asking what led to this person needing this to begin with, 
that that's that's an incomplete form of of care, right? So use the best of Western medicine for what it has, and then use us for what we have. And I love what you said. Like a lot of these lab people are not even doctors. That's what I, I don't think many people realize that. Reed, I didn't realize that beforehand when I was finding out about FD, F, about FDN. It was very hard for me to grab the idea that I can I can use these labs. And we have an episode, guy uh, guys, it just came out a few weeks ago, uh, Dr. Sandeep Gupta. He's one of our medical directors. We've been trying to get him on forever. Finally, uh, we're able to see, sneak something in. He is one of the people that allows us to facilitate these lab orders through him. And he talks to you all about at the end, go skip to like the 40 minute mark, about how we're able to do this, why he trusts FDN enough for him to put his name on this. So understand this is a, as about as by the book as it can get. You were uh, in law before FDN, right? You've had other things before FDN, correct? Yeah, sure. I was saving the planet in environmental and conservation area. I was an environmental law paralegal, still am technically, but, um, you know, out there saving the planet and all of a sudden right. I realized, well, what about people? What about people, including me? I, I didn't <laughs> want anything sneaking up on me. So, Long story short, I went to work in a clinic, ran thousands of labs on thousands of people, had great mentorship, made my own observations, recognized patterns, created a system that all of our patients could go through. All of our patients and my clients could go through this H-I-D-D-E-N and then the Dress for Health Success Protocols. And after 10 years, uh, someone talked me into teaching. You should be teaching Mm -hmm. others. And the rest is history. You know, we now deputize thousands of people around the world to do FDN. But it was right. started with one clinic, uh, one guy, uh, just trying to help people. Bam. It's a perfect mix, right? You got a guy with an entrepreneurial background, uh, some mixes of the law stuff, and then 20 plus years of doing the health thing. Makes for a good combination. Like we're doing, I'm just saying, it's actually interesting, right? We're doing things by the book. We're getting it done. Uh, don't worry about the lab thing that's been going on for years and there's never been a problem at all, right? The only problem could ever come from a practitioner doing the wrong thing that they were not trained on. And thankfully, uh, we're sending good people out into the world doing this. No issues whatsoever. Uh, I I just have to add to that. I I know we want to conclude and wrap it up here that if you get off a plane from West Africa and your temperature is 105 and you're bleeding Mm -hmm. from your eyeballs, you're not going to call your nutritionist who's trained in FDN. You're going to go right where you need to go. If you get in a car accident, if you get uh, wounded in a drive-by shooting, you know, all those things, you, you go and you get that taken care of. That's what doctors are so amazing at, saving lives. So when the downward spiral towards death is really contracted, you go get a doctor to, to get the life preserver on you and get you out of the woods, you know, so where then the observations we make can be capitalized on through lifestyle. You're, you're going to be able to live yourself out of whatever problem you lived yourself into. Bam. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's worth mentioning. I always try to, on this show, really emphasize that this is, we're, we work more synergistically with Western medicine than probably most places out there. It's unfortunate, right? A lot of natural and functional people start getting a little cuckoo on the other end. They're like, oh, forget Western medicine. I'm like, well, I'm not going to forget that when something bad happens to me. You know what I mean? Like I got accidents that happened in life. It, it's oh, just a thing. Yeah, Let's it, mix the best of both worlds. Yeah, and the past uh, traumas and things. I mean, I go and get stem cells. Well, there's no nutritionist <laughs> doing stem cells. You know, you have to go see a, a trained orthopedist or someone who's now made that their 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 modality. That um, because I want to heal the tissue inside my neck that I damaged very badly surfing and wrestling and playing <laughs> football. 
and riding motorcycles and all, all the built up stuff, my neck, I've had both shoulders done, my left knee, my mid back with uh, very advanced medical stuff that again, there's not going to a nutritionist for, for any of that stuff. We're going to go to a trained physician who's licensed to diagnose the, you know, the, the disc space and the arthritis and the um, pinched nerves and all this stuff. I mean, there's, it's a wonderful, um, actually a good, it's integrative. It's very complementary and integrative. Matter of fact, we think we're the perfect complement to anything else you have going on. I, I've seen that to be true over five years. You know, it's not just a cute statement. I mean, it's actually quite legitimate. So, uh, Reedman, thank you so much for coming on again. This was so much different than episode 100. So I hope people end up listening to that, too, to hear some more stories and testimonials. But we broke things down today, man. I, I don't know what else you'd want if you're listening. So thank you so much. We're good. Okay, that'll do it for today's episode. We are at a whopping one hour and 23 minutes. I think that might be the longest for a singular episode on here. I could be wrong. I mean, of course, we've had multiple part episodes, but I'm just talking about one release. This might take the cake. And of course, if someone's going to take the cake, it's going to be Evan and Reed. We got plenty to say, that's for sure. I don't want to take up any more of your time. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you're interested in that summer open house, seeing the schedule or signing up for notifications, don't forget to visit fdntraining.com slash summer. And hey, if you like the content that we are sharing and are feeling extra generous today, please go to Apple and or Spotify and leave us a five-star review. If you would be so kind as to do that, we would love you even more than we already do. I'm looking forward to coming back to you with another episode, but until then, take care.